very happy to welcome in my next guest to the program to talk about loneliness. Kim Samuel is an advocate and thought leader on questions of social loneliness. Kim, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Oh, very well, thanks, and thanks so much for having me on the program. Yeah, we this came up as a topic because there was a recent study out that said loneliness um, is just as bad for you as smoking, and or just as bad as smoking, I should say. And so I, I just wanted to, first of all, get a little bit of background from you for our listeners. How long have you been studying this? Uh, about 20 years, and incurred quite a bit of loneliness along the way myself. <laughs> And that's maybe what I, where we should start with is because um, even you yourself or understand it maybe more so than the average person does, uh, can still experience loneliness. No, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that the study that you're referring to is one that came out this week uh, by the U.S. Surgeon General and, and calling loneliness not just uh, something of great concern, but actually an epidemic and cited that. of the people in in the U.S., by way of example, are lonely, which is kind of staggering. Yeah, indeed it is. So before we get into ways to sort of offset it, let's explain it. Uh, How does loneliness work and what is it? Okay. Loneliness is something that is really felt by the individual, right? We We can't tell someone else that they're lonely. It's the, it's the lack of meaningful social connections. It's that feeling of I don't belong or I'm not good enough. And and it's really a paradox because someone can feel lonely all alone or they could feel like they just choose to, to have some alone time. And on the other side of it, a person could be at a at a party, you know, best party in Winnipeg and feel absolutely alone and lonely and my work has been focusing and research on on people that tend to feel that way most of the time and and isolated too which gets into not uh not being able to fit in or feeling like you don't fit in or as i describe it feeling like you're sitting alone at the bottom of a well so i don't want anyone to feel that at all but we can't really prevent it altogether but what we can do and it's what I focus on is is ways of of not only having individuals think about hey how can I get out of loneliness myself but even better what can we do for other people yeah and such a valid point because I'm nowhere near as much uh, informed about this as you are but I, I often know and think enough when we talk about mental health and things like that we think of loneliness as the single person in their apartment uh, no friends, no family, go to work, come home. Uh, loneliness isn't that. Loneliness is quite often the mother or the father or the the son of, of a family of five that have people around them and go to school and have jobs and, and sports teams. You can still feel loneliness, right? I think, um, Jim, you kind of are an expert on this. I think all of us are experts on this because I think that most everyone's felt this. And and when you know you mentioned about mental health just now, and I, I, I really want to see uh, any uh, everything about mental health destigmatized. It's really important. And and with with loneliness, I don't I don't believe that a a diagnosis is required for someone to tell you how they feel. And it can combine with a lot of other things. But but in terms of the the impact, how it gets to us, well, it's 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 uh, on. Uh, I'll just give you a few highlights and then and an anecdote. 
depression, anxiety, high blood pressure, poor sleep, poor immune function, increased risk of stroke and dementia, higher rates of early death. And in the study that you're talking about, um, the the uh, Surgeon General t- writes about these things, but this could just as easily be said in Canada, and, and I would think in many, many other countries in the world. And the anecdote I wanted to share with you is that recently I was speaking to somebody who had gone to his doctor. I will not mention this person's name because he enjoys his drink and he enjoys smoking. I'm not advocating for either one. <laughs> but he thought that his doctor was going to really chew him out about those things. And, uh, and not to say he didn't. But the biggest thing he said is, look, when my patients come in here, the thing, the number one health risk that I see is if they're lonely, which is a much greater health risk of lack of social connection than physical inactivity, obesity, air pollution, and cigarettes and, uh, and alcohol. But with cigarettes, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the experience of loneliness is, is it's dangerous to our health as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day, which that's a lot of cigarettes, right? And so that's, that's what loneliness does, and, and, uh, and it can last a very long time. And is that the quantification of why it's, it, we all go through it, is why it's a, a serious issue, a serious health issue? Yeah, it's a, I think that bringing out the kind, of, the kind of data and all the different areas that I just mentioned, and those are just some of them, it's really important because it, it brings the impact into the mainstream things that we can relate to. But also, if an individual is feeling really lonely and someone says, hey, why don't you, why don't you say to a, a university student, because I've, I've taught at, at McGill University and um, had the experience of a lot of, a lot of students talking about their own experience with loneliness and, and social isolation and so on and, 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 and kind of appreciating, I guess, to a certain extent, well-meaning advice from parents and others. Hey, you know, there's 200 clubs or whatever it is that you can just step out of your dorm room and join. I could even find some for you. And I, I try to point out to people that imagine that that, that door to their, to their room or wherever they're living maybe more like a brick wall, and then ask someone how easy it is to walk through a brick wall, meaning that everything is compounded by this. Right, yeah, that, that's a, a great example. So how do we, um, I don't want to say combat this, but I, but like give some tips for people to help with it. And, and is it mostly about connections? And Because we've already described yeah. the fact that you can be very busy and have m- many people around you daily, but if you don't have those mm-hmm. connections, that leads to your loneliness, right? But if you have some connections, if some of those people, that sort of alleviates some of the loneliness you may be feeling. It, it, exactly. And and sorry if you can hear bells. I'm I'm uh, at Oxford University, and it's time for the ringing of bells. So I'm going to try to speak. <laughs> speak over. No, we can't hear them, but this is great. Thank you. <laughs> Just so you know that I'm not trying to sabotage our conversation. <laughs> yeah. ACDC is not playing behind you. We know that. We got it. I get it. No, I, I heard I heard your lead into this, and you're obviously uh, into music, too, so I appreciate those, those references. Uh, anyway, uh, you, you, you actually just answered it uh, yourself. It's about connection, and it's not just saying to someone, well, 
next Wednesday at 5.30 or maybe even every Wednesday at 5.30, I'll show up. It's really about uh, being showing up for someone and knowing that they can show up for you uh, for as long as long as is needed. So I, I guess just um, I know we have limited time, so I'll, I'll give you a few uh, just what comes to mind for me, how we and, and I think it's OK to use com- combat this as a as a as a word. I think we really need to combat this and uh, and and. Uh, and certainly get our governments not only to acknowledge it, but to actually put policy in place. But my, my three top, I guess, three top uh, ideas. One is to remember that connectivity, meaning technology, connectivity does not equal connection. And to develop, second, to develop relationships rooted in reciprocity. And I think about it in this, in this way that we... We all can be lonely. We all can feel really isolated. Maybe not always at the same time. And another, another thing that makes it harder is that we all wear masks kind of in order to survive and, and, not, and not identify as a really lonely person at a party thinking no one's going to want to hang out with me if I say that. So it's, it's really seeing each other, uh, not just seeing ourselves, and really push politicians in whether it's in matters of, of housing, health care, access to health care, um, urbanization, what happens in cities, food, security, that's just off the top of my head, to make our communities better places of connection and, and sort of specific green space, uh, housing density, accessible public spaces. And I'm not trying to put this all on government or all on individuals, but I really think that a lot of the systems that we are governed by uh, today are kind of set up to separate us, make, make some the, the ones in power, other the, others that are the ones that are receiving, some of the doers, some of the leaders, others who probably should be the leaders that have the experience are kind of left the victim. So I want to say that if anyone out there is, is experiencing loneliness, which I would be my first with my hand up on that one. Um, uh, it happens. It happens quite a lot. Is to know this is not your fault. You did nothing to cause this. We're just living in a, a time and exacerbated by 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 COVID and what we all went through in terms of being isolated. That uh, we're up we're up against some tough competition on the combating. And I I want people to know it's not your fault and that. Uh, and that when people feel that down, I, I think we should look at the systems, not what the individual did wrong at work that day. Really great, important information and uh, insight from you, Kim. I really appreciate it today. How can people find out more about you? Oh, uh, gosh. Um, I'm, uh, I, I guess from the uh, website for the Samuel uh, Center for Social Connectedness, which is scsdglobal.org. And I, I wrote a book, um, took, me, uh, took me several decades to do this, <laughs> came out last year, uh, called On, On Belonging, Finding Connection in an Age of Isolation. And that's uh, oh, available wherever books are sold, I'm told. And, and, and I'm just 
happy to have had the opportunity to share some thoughts with you today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I appreciate your time so much. I'm looking at your book as well. I'll, I'll give the websites out as well as people are listening. can always maybe write it down. Uh, so I will repeat this later in the program. Sure. But really appreciate your time. And, and thanks for sharing the bells with us from Oxford. We don't get that on our station very much. So we appreciate that too. It, it's a Thursday night thing. It's a full peel. It goes on for three hours. And um, I'll be I'll be here at my desk for all of them. So wish me good luck. With that. <laughs> Uh, in, a, in a roundabout way, and just to make a light of a little, not to make light of what we're talking about, but maybe a little loneliness from the bells would be appropriate in about an hour for you. Yeah, yeah, never hurt. Never hurt. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. I really appreciate your insight. This was a fabulous conversation, and all the best to you. All the best to you, too. Really looking forward to this next uh, discussion. It's with Brad Gibb, Regional Program Director, Southwestern Ontario. He manages six stations, but two of the biggest rock stations outside of Toronto in our Chorus Network. Brad, thanks for joining me here today in Winnipeg. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, you know we're almost uh, catching up to you weather-wise. <laughs> well, it's on its way, if that's a, an easy way to put it. I'm from Alberta, so that's what my parents always tell me. This is what's on its way. Thanks. Let, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be we're going to be 20 tomorrow. So we're, we're catching up to Winnipeg. Excellent. Um, look, this discussion came up in one of our news meetings and I'm the one who brought it up. So I, I'm really fascinated by this. But the fallout of this year's class and I think with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame every year, there's a fallout of the class and the inductees and people have their their way in. But this this year seems more so than ever with what is the rock and roll hall of fame so what do you make of this year's class and then we'll get into the the process of of uh, i don't think many of our listeners know on on how it is decided who gets it well i think it's a i think it's a great class i think it's a nice diverse class um not only in just you know general diversity but in in uh in in genres as well you've got pop you've got hip-hop um, I frankly, am surprised that Willie Nelson, you know, at 90 years old is just getting into the rock and roll hall of fame. Um, but then you've got, you know, rage against the machine and, and I, I, I really do not have a problem with it. So tell us why, because, and maybe the definition of the rock and roll hall of fame to me is, is the issue. I, I, I don't know if Willie Nelson's rock and roll, and I think he should be in every Hall of Fame, but I don't know if it's rock and roll. What is the definition of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and, and is it becoming, or has it always been, just a music Hall of Fame? Well, I don't think you can call it a music Hall of Fame because, you know, there isn't a, there isn't a, a Beethoven or a Bach wing to it. Um, I, it. By today's standards, yeah, I think it's an unfortunate name, um, but when this thing was created, you, know, you look at the, the, the first couple of classes of inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, by definition, they were rock and roll. You know, it was, uh, you know, John Lee Hooker and, and uh, you know, Chuck Berry and, you know, all of these these artists from the 50s um, that were rock and roll bands. They were rhythm and blues. And that was the popular music of, of the time. And as we've gone through the years, rock and roll is really kind of just in, in that period. Um, you know, ACDC and the Rolling Stones are really the only two rock and roll bands 
um, that exist. Uh, you're, you're into hard rock, you know, rock, um, you know, heavy metal, and then, you know, pop, hip hop, and so on and so forth. So it really, it should be called the, the Popular Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that's why I wonder about what the stipulations are to get in because, I, like I said, every year there's I, I look at the class and I think they're like I'm looking at I'm a massive George Michael fan, always have been, um, but I grew up as a rock guy, right? And and but I I like all genres. I'm from Alberta. I love country music. I love all like Willie Nelson is an absolute legend to me. But when I think of rock and roll, and I think of rock and roll Hall of Fame, I don't think of George Michael. I don't think of Willie Nelson. Yeah, I, you know. It- it's uh, I think it's a, it's a matter of circumstance that it, that, it, that it comes back to being being popular music. Um, you wouldn't see, you know, Rage Against the Machine be in the Country Music Hall of Fame in uh, in Nashville. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. But, uh, you know, but really, if they if they were conti- just to continue putting, you know, quote unquote, rock and roll bands in, uh, they won't have any inductees in the next five years. Yeah, and that leads me to my point, Brad. I was going to ask you: Did Nickelback save rock and roll when they came out with "Silver Side Up" or the one before that? I think it depends on when you ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> and keep in mind, I am from Southern Alberta, but in reality, like I, I remember the time that they came out, and grunge had sort of w- was was losing its steam, and and there was this, you know, music, you know, machine produced uh, popular hit music around, and then they sort of came onto the scene, and I was I was just thankful. Hey, some rock and roll, thank you. And, you know, and really, like, you know, Nickelback came out, you know, right at the right time for, right. for that time period. It was just, you know, straight up the middle, meat and potatoes rock. And, you know, the, I think they also came out with, you know, one of the greatest pop songs in history with How You Remind Me. But also, when they came out, it was a time period where the world was just looking for happiness. Because it was right after 9-11. So right after 9-11, if you think of the years before 9-11, in rock, you had, you know, uh, artists like Kid Rock and Queens of the Stone Age and Linkin Park debuting. New metal was a thing with, you know, with corn. It was a lot of this loud, angry music. And then 9-11 hit, and, you know, the world wanted to feel happy again. So it was this wave of pop that happened, and, you know, Nickelback, wrote that because you know they wrote rock songs but they were these melodic poppy rock songs right yeah indeed um what do you think of missy elliott going in because i'm a massive fan but that's another one of the artists that i'm like the last thing i associate missy elliott with and and her genius and and her innovation is rock and roll yeah but at, at the same time i think you know with with a lot of the the hip-hop artists they still carry the same attitude and the same feelings and the, the the passion and rebellion that comes with with rock music um, you know notorious big is in the uh, in the rock and roll Hall of Fame and uh, you know I, I I think she should be she's had a great career she's been you know a massive influence on on that genre and the culture and I think that if you know by definition, if you were to call it rock and roll, okay, no. But, you know, in looking at it as popular music, I think, of course, she should be in there.
Right. Yeah. It's popular music. And is that the way we need to, to um, think of this now when it says rock and roll hall of fame is just popular music, despite the name of it? I think so because there, you know, really there, there are no rock and roll bands. I think the closest thing you could, you could get to a rock and roll band would be like the black keys. And, um, it was interesting. I, I, when Malcolm Young from ACDC died a few years ago, I was listening to an old interview of his, and, and, and he did say, you know, that, that, that there really aren't any rock and roll bands anymore. And what it comes down to is it comes down to the hi-hat on the drum kit, where bands like ACDC and the Rolling Stones, I mean, if you listen to the hi-hat, there's a swing there. There's a groove there. Uh, but bands like Nickelback that are, you know, straight meat and potatoes rock bands, those hi-hats are, are very tight. And there's no swing to the music. And that is, uh, you know, that swing and, you know, the, the basses in the blues and that R&B influence, that's rock and roll. Whereas everything else has spawned from that in some way, shape or form. Yeah, and I'm a, a Nickelback defender, um, and maybe not the last few albums, um, but from where they, they came and the original stuff, I, I will to the day is long, and everybody says to me, well, every song sounds the same, and I'm like, have you ever heard of ACDC? Every ACDC song sounds the same, but it's it's good rock and roll, right? Like it's So I, I, I don't defend where they've gone or their, or their ability. Like It's become a detriment to be able to write a hit song now, right? Like, oh, they know how to write radio tunes, or they know how to do this, and I'm like... Yeah, why why did that become a bad thing in rock music? I, I think that there's well, you know, look at U two. Um, you know, U two was was the biggest thing going for, you know, for two decades, and um, I think that you know, these people just get you get get sick of it, and there's something that's that's an alternative to that that focuses your attention away, and um, you know, Nickelback uh, in their heyday had a great ten year run, but. Um, with you know with a lot of things you know you um you know you you have to sometimes you have to stop you know if you look at a band like acdc they've, they've had you know a career that spanned you know five decades but they would take a break and they would uh they would go away and then come back um you know so it's kind of the same thing with like you know the band like like you too so, um, you know, I don't, I don't fault them at all. And, and that's, that's the, uh, that's the thing that, uh, that happens with, uh, uh, with all bands is that, you know, once they get the formula, the thing that's working for them, of course, everything's going to sound the same. Right. Yeah. And I went down this, um, Gordon Lightfoot rabbit hole naturally the other night and, and really, you know, knowing I was going to do this segment today and, and glad to have you on to do it, Brad, was um, like he was um, folk rock is what it was called. And then I started thinking, you know, I don't know how to define Gordon Lightfoot. I just know that it was good music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, folk rock or, or you, could, you could put the whole thing into, you know, to Roots or, you know, Americana, which is just, you know, kind of a different version of, of, of country music. Right. Which really is just a different version of, of rock music. Yeah, indeed. Um, last one for you. We doing okay with Canadian rock right now? I mean, Glorious Sons, and I, there's bands. I'm older now, so it's hard for me to keep up with the kids, as I like to say. Um, but are we doing okay with Canadian rock and, and where we're at with it? I think so. I mean, you know, from in, in our neck of the woods, um, you know, we're, we're quite lucky in, in southern Ontario because of the, the 401 corridor. 
And when you're, you know, a band in, you know, in this area, you can hit a lot of colleges and universities in, you know, in a day trip. Um, and, you know, a band like the Glorious Sons from Kingston, you know, did that much like the Tragically Hip did. You know, they would, they would, you know, leave Kingston, they would come to London and play and go back. They would go to Toronto and play in Ottawa and come back and keep coming back. Um, Arkell's another one from, uh, from Hamilton. Uh, they would do the same thing. The Trues, you know, they were from Nova Scotia and they moved from Nova Scotia to St. Catharines, just outside of Toronto because it was cheaper and they could gig in Toronto and they would come back and back and back. So I think that's, you know, that's still the case with, uh, with rock bands is, you know, getting in front of a live audience and, and showing them a good time. And then, and then coming back and, you know, getting better every time. And I think we're in a really good spot, um, you know, with Canadian, uh, Canadian rock music. Um, the, we don't quite have the, uh, uh, you know, that, that international ban. Uh, it's funny that Three Days Grace is, you know, like our, our biggest international rock band with all the number ones. They have they hold the record for the most number ones in the United States. Um, but, you know, they, they just don't, they don't do as well here. And, you know, that brand of, of rock music, um, you know, isn't just quite the, the Canadian thing. Whereas, you know, the Glorious Sons could put, you know, 10,000, 15,000 people, same with Arkells, you know, in, in any arena. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw the Trues a couple of weeks ago here in Winnipeg. And I just was reminded about not only how, what great songs they have, but how, what a good live show they they put on. It was like this sort of uh, awakening back to my youth of man, just having a cold one and watching good Canadian rock never gets old. Yeah, that is that is such a great feeling, is it? And and you know, especially like you know, with a band like the Trues that are just they're just great musicians. They've got fun songs, and you know, they know how to work a crowd and and work a song. And the great thing with the Trues too is that they'll they'll have seven different versions of you know of some of their songs. Yeah, uh, you never know what you're going to get. Right. Yeah. The one thing they didn't convince me of though is at our age, the leather pants, Brad. I, I would venture to say they should rethink that. But who am I to judge? Right. <laughs> I, you know, I've never gone down that road. Neither have I, but neither have I. And I, I thought I was, this is a great show, but I'm still not going to go down that road. But good on you up there on on, uh, on the stage at the Region Casino here in Winnipeg. Brad, great conversation. I really appreciate your time on this. Thanks for doing it. And really, really a great discussion around the parameters of, of what rock and roll music is when it comes to the Hall of Fame. So thanks for doing this. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking. This has been great. Call anytime.